We'll start in verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Man, that's a good message this time of year, isn't it? You're free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Look at your neighbor and say, don't do whatever you want. That's not a good idea. Don't do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. We talked last week about how I don't think they're obvious anymore in our culture. But Paul writes that they should be obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And look at that last one, self-control. Against such things, there are no law. He says, if you do, if, if these things are evident in your life, you don't have to worry about the law. You'll be fulfilling it. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. God, we pray that we can flesh this out in a meaningful way today. Help us, God, live the best life that you have for us. And show us what that looks like this morning through your word. In Christ's name we pray and everyone said. Amen and amen. All right, you may be seated. We live in a culture today of, um, uh, we throw around tolerance a lot, don't we? Like you got to tolerate everybody, tolerate everything. You can't, um, we're, in, we're, we're supposedly a non-judgmental culture. I think it went back to Tupac. Um, <laughs> some of you guys remember the 90s, right? I think he coined the phrase, only God can judge me. And uh, I think about that every now and then as I'm listening to the word. And uh, I don't My dad threw away all my Tupac tapes when he found them in my car because I forgot to take them out. He turns the car on. It's like, what was that? Tossed $100 worth of cassette tapes. I'm still sore about it. Um, But we live in this culture where um, we seemingly are supposed to have no opinions about anything, about other people's lives, or about uh, nobody's supposed to have an opinion about our life either. Not, not just opinion. Nobody's supposed to critique our lives. Nobody's supposed to criticize. Nobody's supposed to, if, if it feels good to you, do it. Paul tells us at the beginning of that uh, section of Scripture, don't do whatever you want to do. So I'm going to preface what I'm going to say today with this, that, that my fear is that the majority of our society is waiting on God to judge them. 
And I don't think that's a good strategy. I'd rather, we talked about Psalm 141 last week where, where it says, let a righteous man strike me. It's a kindness. It's like oil in my head. I will not refuse it. I'd rather have a good person come along beside me and go, hey, bro, you're going the wrong way. Then wait till the end of my life and have God go, you were going the wrong way. And so this whole concept of nobody can say anything to me, I'm going to live my life the way I want to, I'm responsible only to myself, is just awful way to live. And we're talking about the context of living the best life God has for us, the best life God has for us. So what I, what I want to say to you this morning, I'm going to talk about dif- a difficult uh, subject, and uh, you have to love me. Scripture, Paul said it in the scripture he wrote, that uh, treat your neighbor as you would have them treat you. And so you have to love me because you want me to love you. And, um, and know when I talk about this, that, uh, that it's from a place of wanting the best for us. I don't know if you do your kids like this, but I never tell my kids, well, I mean, you could get by with that. I mean, your life will be mediocre, but hey, who am I to judge? No, when I give advice to my kids, I want, them to, I want the best that they can possibly have. I want them to do, perform the best. I want them to be the best. I don't want to wake up and find out 10 years from now that their dad told them how to live mediocre. I don't want that to happen. So even if they choose to live mediocre, I want them to wake up 10 years from now and say, man, dad told me how to do it the best. Dad gave me the best. And, and one day they'll wake up and say that. Dad knew what he was talking about. Come on, parents. Give it up for realization day. Dad knew what he was talking about. And they wake up one day and it's like, hey, my kids are doing the what? Same thing. And I'm telling them the same thing. Shut your mouth or up. <laughs> no, not teaching my kids that. So know that what we're going to talk about today is God's best for us. And, and it's coming from a heart uh, for me for the best for us as, as people trying to live and honor and glorify God. And also take it from somebody who hasn't always gotten it all right. And here's what I figured out. We've created a culture where there's, in order to, in order to give somebody else uh, advice on something, there seems to be a prerequisite for the person giving advice to be perfect. I don't ever see that as a prerequisite. I, I see it as, if that was the case, you would never read a self-help book. Because all self-help books are, I screwed it up, figured out how to do it, now you should do what I'm doing. So perfection is a prerequisite to give somebody advice and nobody would give advice. And you'd never read another self-help book. So I'm coming at it from somebody who didn't do this well in the beginning. But I've been married 22 years and my wife's sitting on the front row and she's smiling at me. So I think I'm, all right. I had to double check. It's been a long weekend, you know what I'm saying? Uh, So God's best for us, God's best for us. We're going to read another portion of scripture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, starting in verse 1. They're going to put it up on the screen. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. As in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. So he's writing to the Thessalonians and he's saying, listen, we instructed you how to live to please God. Now we're asking you to keep doing this more and more and more and more. Now now remember, these were pagans 
who have been converted. They're following Christ. So they're coming out of that culture. And Paul's saying, okay, we've given you instructions on how to live, and now we want to come back and encourage you to do that all the more. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Don't give up. Don't give up. Here, I want to encourage you to do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Verse 3. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. That means set apart. That means different. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. Now, listen to the way he phrases this. He's talking about sexual immorality, and he says, in this matter, no one should take advantage of somebody else. Like a family. We should be looking out for the best for other people. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject human being, a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Okay. So we're going to talk about a difficult topic this morning. Because, listen, culturally we're in the same place that Paul was writing to the Thessalonians. Now, let me explain the context that he was writing this in. It was really common at that point in time for a man to have a wife that ran the household. Hallelujah. Right? But it was also really common for him to have a mistress. That's good. You passed the first test. No amens. You weren't like, yeah, what's wrong with that? Um, So it was common for a man to have a wife who ran the house, but that's that's not who he indulged himself with. He would have a mistress, or it was common to own slaves at that time, and he would... Indulge his passions with slaves. Nobody blinked. It was culture at that time. It was fine. It was fine to have, oh, that's your wife and that's your girlfriend. That's your, that, it, it's, it's all cool, man. It's all cool. So what Paul's writing to the Thessalonians is he's saying, listen, don't allow that. That's where you came from. That's the culture you came out of, and now you're in the body of Christ. Now you're safe. Now you're redeemed. Now, now, you, now God's expectation for you is to live different. God's best for you, the best life you can live, is the life that God instructed you to live. And so he's coming back to them, and he's saying, listen, remember the instructions we gave you? Do that. Keep doing that. I know what the culture does. I know what they okay. I know what they say is all right. But I want you to keep doing this. Do the right thing. Do the right thing. Do the right thing. Come on, the best life for you is to live the life that God intended you to live. And so he's instructing them in sexual immorality. And he's saying, I know your culture is fine with it, but it's not the best that God has for you. It's actually sin. And we live in the exact same culture, don't we? Okay, good. Everybody realizes that. You're like, I don't think it's that big a deal. No, we live in the exact same culture where everything and anything goes. Everything and anything goes. It's all fine. You do what you want to do. I'll do what I want to do. But Paul instructs us in Galatians, he says, don't do whatever you want to do. That, 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 that an indication that you're being led by the Spirit is that you're exhibiting self-control. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a shocking fact. You are absolutely in control of your own body. 
commit a crime and use the excuse, my body was out of control, and see who goes to jail, you or your body. Yeah. We are in control of our own body. Now, society has told us that there's certain things about our body that we cannot control. And that's false. That's false. There are certain things about our body that we feed more than others and makes it feel like it's out of control. You ever seen a a dog like 200-pound dog that's just so fat it can't roll over? When you take it to the vet, the vet doesn't go, how does that thing get that way? No, he looks at you, the owner, and says, stop feeding the dog. And you're like, I don't know, man. It just eats every time I feed it. It's crazy. I feed it, and it eats it, and I'm like, it's still eating. So I feed it some more, and it eats a silly. And next thing you know, you got a 200-pound dog that's diabetic, and you're feeding it all kinds of medication, and you can't even walk it down. So what's the doctor say? You have to exercise self-control for the dog because the dog will eat as much as you feed it. Now, there are passions in your life that will eat as much as you feed it. Hmm. That's why as young adults, it's so important what you put in. Because whatever you feed grows. Listen to me, young people. Whatever you feed grows. Now, I know us older people uh, will say things. Because I grew up for the Internet, man. I just had a conversation with a guy yesterday about this. I said, a lot of people will look at their kids and say, man, I never did that when, you're, when I was your age. The issue is you never had the capacity to do that when you were their age. Because you didn't have access to it when you were their age. But now our culture says everything is fine. Let's give the kid a phone and give him free access to everything. Parents, you have to teach your kids self-control. It doesn't come automatically. The flesh does whatever it wants, but the spirit exhibits self-control. So people, listen, we control our passions. If they're out of control, it's because we fed them too much. Come on, you're going to have to help me out. I'm going to have self-esteem problems after I preach this. <laughs> if our passions are out of control, it's... I'm going to say something controversial. It's not because God made you that way. It's because you fed the beast. It's because you fed the dog, and now the dog's overweight. And now you can't control the dog anymore. No, no, no. It is a sexual desire from God? Absolutely. But a sexual monster is not. And so what we feed grows. And that's why it's so important to control what comes in, control what comes in, control. I didn't tell the first service. Do you realize I read an article the other day that Netflix is getting hammered because they have public. Now, we have Netflix. I might cancel it after this. I don't know. Child, the, the show is like has, they're being criticized. The show is rated child pornography. On Netflix. And they're defending it. What you feed grows. And what we've done in our culture is we have fed. We have fed this thing over and over and over. And now it's, a, now it's this monster that we don't seem to be able to control. But, but Paul says, if you live by the Spirit, you'll exhibit self-control. The Spirit will give you the ability to control your passions. Come on, I need more than three amens on that. All of you are like, well, I'm not sure yet. 
The Spirit will give us the ability to control our passions. So what's that mean? It means I've got to be able to restrict what comes in so I can dictate what comes out. I'll give you a great example. This Brendan is in this service. He, he does a wonderful job running our tech stuff in the back. And, and um, he, he, he's more self-disciplined than me. And what happened was this morning when I walked through the door, we were standing back in the foyer, and somebody brought in glazed croissants. So I know what they taste like because I ate three of them at the fireworks tent the other day. Three. I don't know. It's somewhere around the neighborhood of 10,000 calories, and I'm wondering why I can't lose weight. So I'm standing in there, and somebody drops them off at the coffee thing, and I look at them, and I look over at Brendan, and I go, did you see this? These are glazed croissants. These are manna from heaven. They're the sweetest things. They're unbelievable. And you know what Brendan said? Dude, that's way too much sugar. And I went, no, you're right. There's no way I'd eat those things. Terrible Satan. And I thought, Chris, you just got around somebody who has more self-control than you are. Because if he just said, dude, let's eat one. I'd have been like, let's eat four. <laughs> let's eat all of them before anybody knows they're here. Let's just do it now. Because I want to do what I want to do. I'm free in America. I'll do whatever I want to do. I'm the pastor. This church, I'll eat all of them. <laughs> you know what I realized? The best for me is to not eat them. But here's, I'll be honest with you, here's what happens to me. I put two tablespoons of sugar in my tea in the morning. I drink, they're relatively generous tablespoons. I, I, drink, I drink sweet tea from, from everywhere. I drink, uh, uh, and so what I've realized is I've fed the sugar monster. And so when I see glazed-covered croissants, the sugar monster in me goes, ah, ah, ah. So here's the problem, church. We feed the sexual monster in us. Feed it. And we feed it, we feed it, we feed it, we feed it. And it gets manipulated into something that God never intended for it to be. And then we blame God for giving us a desire. And he said, I gave you a puppy and you turned it into a monster. I gave you something to enjoy, to be intimate, and you turned it into something I never intended for it to be. So, so Paul is writing the Thessalonians and saying, be in self-control. Now, let's, let's, uh, let's get countercultural here. Ready? Countercultural. Good, better, best. What's God's best for us? God's best for us is this. Marriage was meant to be the perfect environment for intimacy, and it was meant to be permanent. We're getting better. That was five. Let me say it again. Marriage was meant to be the perfect environment for intimacy, and it was meant to be permanent. Amen. <sighs> feels so good to be approved. <laughs> what happens is this. When I do a wedding, I make people say things that are permanent. I know that you want to write your vows, and you want to say your eyes are blue, and they made, you know, I dazed off into the universe, and, and you came and caught me with your blue eyes and then we floated off together and happy ever ever laughter laugh the issue is there's no permanence in your blue eyes because they could change as you get older but anyway here's the issue for better for worse richer or poor sickness and in health until one of you kill each other until death do us part right it's called a covenant. 
Not just between you two, between you and God. I'm making a covenant. And the Bible teaches us, God teaches us, that the best way to experience intimacy on the planet is in the context of a permanent relationship. It's in the context of a permanent marriage. In the context of permanency. And so, and so the Pharisees try to trip Jesus up with this in Matthew chapter 19. It says, some Pharisees came to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Yeah, man, I can't take it anymore. She's burnt the toast three weeks in a row. Out of here. I'm not doing this. I deserve better. Can you imagine the idiocy of that question? Jesus, is it, is it lawful to divorce your wife for any reason? Jesus says this, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator... Now listen... Anytime you want to figure out what God's intent for you was, go back to the beginning. Because the Garden of Eden was perfect. Go back to the beginning. It was one man, one woman, they were all naked. That's scripture. That ain't me. That's scripture. That's scripture. I had nothing to do with writing that. But perfect was a man and woman, no shame, naked. So use that on your wife next time you go out. So here's the deal. We're going to be perfect. God's best for us is. So here's the deal. Jesus doesn't say, he says, they say, well, what about this? And he says, let's go back to when God made perfect. Let's go back to what he originally designed. Not, not what man twisted it to be, but what he originally designed. It was a man and woman in perfect intimacy with each other and in perfect intimacy with God to the point that they weren't ashamed of what they looked like. They weren't ashamed of what they looked like. They could go around and just be free and love each other. There was no lying. There was no jealousy. There was no envy. There was no, where were you last night? There was none of that. It was perfect. So Jesus doesn't say, hey, look at this couple. No, he says, go all the way back to the beginning. If you want to know what God's perfect will is for, if you want to know how to live the best life, go all the way back to the beginning. So he says, in the beginning, the creator made the male and female. He said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother. That's a good idea. And be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together. I have a buddy, uh, Tom Arati, who I, uh, uh, I travel with in, in Kenya. And um, he grew up in the village. And uh, experienced, he was the first person in his family to own a pair of pants. First person in his family to drive a car. First person in his family to go to school. He's the first out of this out of this area, and I've been to his parents' house. They got electricity two years ago. He will teach marriage to Kenyan pastors. And he said the first six years of his marriage was awful. He said he married, he said, I wanted to marry a strong woman because I knew God had called me to communicate to people, and I wanted her to be able to do the same thing. I didn't realize she was going to be strong towards me. <laughs> so he said, he said, well, in Kenya, you have to understand that that men are right no matter what. <laughs> men are right. Even if they're wrong and they know they're wrong, they're right. You don't say anything. You just put your head down do what they say. It's the way it works. They don't have to apologize. Don't have to. So he comes into the, the church, the pastors, and teaches them the correct way about marriage. 
And he says this. He said, the first six years of my marriage were really, really difficult. I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to get rid of this ego, and, and, and she was aggressive, and I didn't know what to do with it. And, and, and he said, she would remind, he said, when we get to the very limit of what I thought we were capable of, she would remind me, I'm not going anywhere. I'm permanent and pensionable. That means after you're gone, she's getting a check. <laughs> permanent and pensionable. She said, I'm going nowhere. And he said, we realized that the, God's best for us was in the context of permanent marriage. Amen? Now, I know that's countercultural because we do what we want. Because we have desires in us to tell us something contrary to what God's word says. And so we have to, we have to work those out. But the Bible says to be self-controlled, that even in difficult circumstances. And so I, I love it. He teaches it everywhere we go. And he says, she's permanent and pensionable. And she reminds me of that. So no matter what this looks like, she's not going anywhere and she's getting hers. God's best for us is to experience intimacy in the context of a permanent marriage. And I know that's not what our culture says. But I'm not asking you to live a good life. I don't want to give my kids advice on how to live mediocre. I want to put out for them what's best for us. This is the best way for you to experience this. There's nothing like it in the context of a permanent marriage. So what's Jesus tell them? They say, he says, let no one separate. He says, why then? They asked, did Moses command that man give his wife? Or didn't Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But this was not, it was not this way from the beginning. Can I just say this? Sin always complicates everything. Sin always complicates everything. So let me, uh, let me say something a little bit controversial. Just because the church approves of it doesn't mean it's God's best for you. <laughs> Listen, what Jesus is saying here, Moses let you do that. That wasn't my plan. Moses let you do that. That wasn't my plan. So here's what happens. In modern day church, nobody says anything, nobody says anything, nobody says anything. And then it looks like the church is approving of it, so then God's approving of it. But that doesn't mean the same thing. So if you look at Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he deals with the issue with the Corinthians that a man was sleeping with his father's wife. Go home and think about it. It's too much for you this morning. And Paul rebukes them because the church was acting like it was okay. So the same thing he's telling the Thessalonians now. He's saying, listen, this, you know how the world works, but God's called you to be sanctified, set apart, holy. He's called you to live this sexually pure life. He's called you to do it the way he, he asked you to do it because it's the perfect way. It's the best way. And so back in Corinthians, when he writes his letter to them, he says, listen, I'm not hammering you because I'm because I just want to be a dictator. I'm trying to teach you what God's best, the way the, to live the best life is. To way, the, have the most peace, the most, the most comfort, the most joy. The, the best relationship, the best intimacy is in a permanent relationship. So you know what he tells the church? Throw that guy out. Shame on you for accepting it. Wow. That's crazy. I know a lot of you in here are going, I'm glad I'm not sleeping with my dad's wife. Wow. That's one they throw you out for. 
Paul was so upset with the church. He's like, why? Why aren't you telling them what the best is? Remember, this isn't about judgment. Remember, because I can feel the defensiveness. Anybody defensive in here? You want to admit it? You're like, I'm not defensive. <laughs> I know that about myself. I've, I, I've, I'm self-aware enough to know that I'm defensive. I can feel it when it starts to rise up. Can you feel it? Somebody says something you don't really like, you're like, mm. self-control means you push it back down. You go, maybe I need to listen a little bit. Maybe I need to hear what's being said. Maybe it could be true about me. So Jesus says, this wasn't the case. You complicated things because of your hard heart. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, now listen to this. Listen to how the culture was. You can relate this to our culture. The disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it's better not to get married. Can you imagine? They're living in a culture just like ours where they say, well, if you can't get divorced, I'm not even going to try it. Because, Because I don't know if I can make a commitment that long. The disciples are saying that to Jesus. Who can do this? Jesus is like, are you kidding me? What do you mean who can do this? Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it's been given. Remember, if we get defensive, if we say, you can't judge me, then we're not going to accept it. Marriage is a covenant and a commitment. Sin always wants the benefit without the commitment. Did you hear that? Sin always wants the benefit without the commitment. It always wants the benefit without the commitment. If I can get what I want without having to stick it out, it's better off. And God said, no, it's not. It's not. That's why we're struggling so much. Now watch this. God is a God of order. Everything's done in order. All right? The order is important. Our numbers are in order. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Some of you put things in order, don't you? For God, order is extremely important. Watch this. Let's look back at Genesis again. He creates heaven and the earth. He creates all these things. And then he puts man into the thing he created. You got that? Because could you imagine God creating man before there was an atmosphere? Put him in a little spacesuit. A little oxygen generator on his back. You would think, that's absurd. Could you imagine Adam floating around in space like with his mask on? Eve floating around in space, naked with spacesuits? It'd be like the weirdest thing ever, wouldn't it? So God creates the environment and then puts the people in it. Come on, you're going to get this in a second. First service got it right away. They're like, mmm, that's good. He created the environment and then put people in it. When you try to live outside of the environment that was created for you, it becomes complicated. So, how are we supposed to experience intimacy and passion? He creates the environment and then he puts us in it. The order is important. The order is important. He creates the environment. What's the environment for intimacy? You're like the park. No, no. It's not. 
That's culture talking. It's marriage. The environment for intimacy is marriage and marriage alone. I know. It's countercultural. I'm sorry. It's best. So he says, if you try to live before you're in the environment, you'll suffocate. You'll suffocate. So, watch this. If we have set up the standard in our lives that we can get everything we want without the commitment, then then when we get to the commitment, it's going to complicate it, right? Because I'm used to switching when I'm not getting what I want. But self-control causes me in a relationship that's permanent to when I don't get what I want, self-control causes me to not pitch a fit. Self-control causes me to stay. Self-control causes me to love anyway. Self-control causes me to say, you know what? It's not only about sex. Man, if our society ever needs to hear something. Is that a good part of marriage? You better believe it. It's the best. But it's not the only thing. But what we fed ourselves is that that's the most important thing. So we create monsters with insatiable desires, and we do it outside of the environment that God intended for us. We get the order out of the line, and now we're suffocating ourselves. And we wonder why marriages don't work, and we wonder why all this doesn't work, and we wonder why, we wonder why, we wonder why, we wonder. We got it out of order. And for God, the order is important. He says, listen, I created the environment, and then I put you in there to thrive in the environment. Now, do you notice he didn't put a lot of rules on Adam and Eve when they were in the garden? I don't read any rules. I read Adam and Eve naked in the garden. I'm going to leave that for a small group talk. Um, I don't read a lot of legalism. I don't read... I don't read a lot of rules. The rule was, what God has put together, let no man separate. The rule was, the permanent environment to experience the best intimacy. The permanent environment to experience the best intimacy. I'm going to say it again. The permanent environment to experience the best intimacy. If you're you're trying to live in the environment before it's created, you're going to suffocate. It's like natural law. And so as, as a church, as a body of believers, we have to realize that what God's, God's best for us is countercultural. It's not going to make sense to anyone else. What do you mean you're not having sex before you get married? That's stupid. Uh, okay, it's God's best. Call it what you want. It's God's best because you don't get it out of order. You're going to suffocate yourself living outside the environment that was created for you. So here's the thing. The band's going to come up to soften the blow. Listen. The beautiful thing about grace is it's available right now. Right now. Right now. The Bible talks about if you will confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. So remember I told you, like, hey, listen, now's not a time to get defensive. Now's not a time to say, don't judge me, all this stuff. It's an assessment season. It's assessment season. 
let a righteous man strike me. It's like oil on my head. I will not refuse him. It's a, it's a gift. And I think that we can agree as a church that our society is spinning out of control. Where anything goes all the time, everywhere, it doesn't matter. And, and, and we're like the Thessalonians where Paul's looking at us going, Hey, listen, don't let that creep into the church. Don't let that creep into the church. Be sanctified, set apart, live a holy life. When it comes to intimacy, live a holy life. It's important. I created you to experience this unbelievable gift of God in the right context, in the right environment. And I want you to live the best life you can possibly live. The best life. Not an okay life. Not a, not a mediocre, the best life. So here's the beautiful thing about God. Is that at any moment in your life, pause. Lord, I realize today that I'm not living the best. And that I'm actually not doing it the way that you set out for me to do it, the best in my life, and it's sin. And I wanna I wanna ask forgiveness for that sin. I wanna there's an old school church word called repent. We don't say it anymore because it's like, oh, that means I'm doing something wrong. It's called repentance. It literally means to turn and do something different, not do the same thing that you're doing anymore. So now we're going to couple self-control, repentance, and forgive. We're going to couple it all together. And we're going to say, Lord, Lord, here's where I am. I know this isn't the best you have for me, but now I'm going to pivot. I'm going to repent and I'm going to do it different. That mean, that may mean I need to limit what I look at. That may need, I need to limit where I go. That may mean I need to limit the, the, the contact, the places in the contact I have with someone I love. Now, here's the thing we talked about last week. The best is never cheap and it's never easy. The best is never cheap and never easy. So when sin complicates it and we have to make a pivot back to the best, it may be a journey. It may be a walk. It may be difficult conversations. It may be all those things. It may be, it may mean that God, I want to, I want to, I want to live the best life you have for me. So, but I'm in a difficult circumstance right now. I need to be able to have that conversation. I need to be, I need to be able to pivot. I need, it's going to be a life change for me. It's going to be something different. I, I want to live the best life I can possibly live. Jesus said he came to give his life and life more abundantly. And it is possible for you to do this right now. It is possible. God always will support a turn towards him. He will give you all the resources you need. He'll give you the courage. He'll give you the strength. He'll give you the the faith, the ability. He'll give you the, he'll he'll help you have the self-control to be able to do this. And it is a conquerable thing. It is possible to live this lifestyle in 2018. Come on, I need to know somebody agrees with that today. It is possible. It is God honoring and it's what God expects. And so my message to you today is not condemnation. It's a message filled with grace and hope that you can pick your head up and can realize that God wants the best for me and I can, and with his strength, I can pull it off. This may seem impossible with man, but with all, but with God, all things are possible. And you can wake up the next morning and you can be guilt-free. You can be forgiven. You can be on your road to righteousness and you can be living the best that God intended you for you to live. I think today's a beautiful day to start. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be cheap. But it's going to be worth it. And I think we can live sanctified lives, holy, set apart, the way God intended us to live.
We don't have to mimic our culture. We can set the tone. Amen. Can we make a step towards that this morning? Why don't you stand to your feet? Hey, listen, you got to come back next week. Don't do that to me. Don't do that to me. I never talk about sex twice in a row. Talk about something easy next week like money. Listen, I want what's best for me. I want what's best for my kids. I want what's best for you. And I believe God laid it out for us. I believe God laid it out for us. And I want to pray for you in that light. Father, thank you this morning. God, we don't have to be ignorant of your word. You put it right out in front of us. God, I pray that you'd give us the ability to obey. I pray that you give us the self-control to take hold of this issue. I pray that we'd flourish, that we'd have intimate relationships, that we live out the best for us according to your word. And Lord, if we're not in that place right now, I pray that you'd forgive us as we turn and repent and confess our sins. I know you're faithful and just to forgive. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us work out the details in our life to live holy and righteous before you. I pray that we make the hard decisions. Lord, I pray that we make the difficult steps. I pray that you give us enough strength and energy, Lord, to do whatever it takes to live a holy life before you. And I pray that we start in this area. Lord, let us take an assessment of our lives today and see how we measure up. Lord, let us stop feeding our passion, Lord, and feed the Spirit today. We thank you for it. We thank you, Lord, for it. Thank you for your convicting word to us. And thank you for the opportunity to live the best life that we can live here on this earth. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. Come on, church. Give him honor and praise. He's good to us. Amen.